powerful statement of cinematic glory, an amazing and amazing trajectory of a career. Marvel's Cinematic Universe has done it once again and one more time. This is KCWG, the truth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and that is some amazing thematic music by our Alan Silvestri. Uh, he's made all of the music for the uh, Marvel's Avengers films, I believe, and that is just 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 totally soul-catching right there. So um, y'all already know. So we already have our first guest on the line, and later on we're going to be featuring Tamika, Sh- Tamika Michelle and her very special guests. And uh, also, before we introduce them, I want to tell you we have a Facebook page out there, y'all, facebook.com slash SoulChildrenLA, where you can follow all of our events, as well as our archive page on mixcloud.com slash Soul Children LA. And one more quick announcement before I introduce our guests. Uh, we have some sad and somber news in the world of entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, just in the last few hours, we lost legendary West Coast LA filmmaker John Singleton. That's right. John Singleton had a stroke a few weeks ago and he had lain in a coma for a few days and he was taken off life support, I think, this morning. And uh, he went ahead and made his transition. So John Singleton, uh, writer and director of legendary films such as Boys in the Hood, Higher Learning, Poetic Justice, Rosewood, uh, just to name a few. Uh, Black Snake Moan is another one, Too Fast, Too Furious. Uh, He had an amazing track record, and he was right there from Southern California, L.A., stand up. We lost another good one, y'all. Nipsey Hussle a few weeks ago, John Singleton today. So may he rest in paradise. So, as I said, we're talking about Infinity War Endgame. Oh, my goodness. I was stoked just at the thought of this movie coming out. It's finally here. And we have two amazing experts on the line right now to help me break it all down. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School, M.D. Marie and Mr. Hannibal Taboo. M.D., Hannibal, are you there? Yes, we are. We're here. Hey, hey, y'all. Well, it is finally here, and I just cannot believe what I have experienced over the weekend. First of all, did either one of you want to share some thoughts on uh, the late, great John Singleton? Uh, M.D. Marie and then Hannibal Taboo. Uh, Like you said, a a great loss to the film industry, to his fans, and I'm sure to his family and friends. I remember... um, that he actually filmed one of the scenes for Boys in the Hood in my neighborhood. So I got to meet him that one time, and he did great mm. things from then on, so he will be missed. Yes, he will, indeed. Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Well, I uh, John went to SC a few years before I did, and a lot of his friends were friends of mine, so uh, we were both in similar circles for a while. When he went to go film Higher Learning, he got a bunch of uh, us from SC to come out to UCLA because he wasn't allowed to film at SC, which was a long, funny story. Uh, and, you know, it was raining, and we were all stuck in an auditorium, and he tapped me specifically to be in one of the scenes at the end where if you look at the end of Higher Learning and see a guy in a red, black, and green baseball jersey wildly overacting, that's me in the background being blurry. Um, <laughs> nice. And then... And then years later, he went on to direct my uh, oldest child in The People vs. O.J. Simpson in the Emmy-nominated episode, uh, mm. uh, episode five of that. So with uh, she played uh, Courtney Vance's, uh, well, character's daughter, Johnny Cochran's uh, daughter there. 
Oh, wow. He, he got to work that? with her as well. He was uh, a consummate professional. He was somebody who had a very distinctive voice that was very clear, and he was able to bring that reality to the work that he did, uh, representing areas that normally didn't get a lot of light on them in the entertainment, especially prior to his entering in. So. I, yeah. uh, I, I, you know, I like John personally as a person. I appreciate him. I'm very sorry to hear that he passed, especially because 51 is far too young for somebody to be passing away. And, you know, it just, uh, it just makes me grateful for every, every day that I have. Oh, tell me about it. Speak on that, brother. Wow, amazing stories from you both. Incredible. I had no idea that he had touched you in such a personal way. John Singleton, rest in paradise, good brother. So we have in game, y'all. Oh, man. Um, Hannibal, you know I've been waiting on this for a while, so I'm going to come to you first with this one. Brother, break it down. Uh, the bar was set pretty high with this one. How well or how close did it meet the standard? And uh, did they stick the landing? They, I, I believe that after 11 years and 22 films, they absolutely stuck the landing, which was no easy feat. Uh, this is not a perfect film by any stretch of the imagination, but its benefits vastly outweigh its deficits. And... As we move forward, you know, this is going to be taught in business schools and film schools as an example of mm -hmm. uh, what uh, uh, the heights that someone can achieve both creatively and uh, professionally in this industry with this way, which is proved by not only the nearly universal acclaim it has received, uh, but also the $1.2 billion opening weekend, which uh, the, front, wow. the front page of Box Office Mojo showed all the records that this film has broken in three days. <laughs> and three days. It is, it, wow. is, it is demolishing every possible expectation. And yeah, they're, they're going to have to invent new Brinks, Brinks trucks to bring home all this money to Disney. Wow. How about that? M.D. Marie, what are your thoughts? Uh, what he said. <laughs> no, <it> was, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think he pretty much uh, summed it up. But, yeah, it was a phenomenal film. Very impressive. Uh, I personally didn't see any deficits. I thought it was a great story. Uh, I like how they tied up all the loose ends. Um, it was mm. a very emotional story for a lot of people in the audience. Uh, the girl next to me used all her tissue and napkins and all my tissue and napkins. So, <laughs> yeah, it definitely moved some people. Definitely, definitely. Well, I'm going to come back to Hannibal in just a second because you said, MD, that it was almost a flawless uh, routine, if you will, if we're going to continue to use the gymnastics uh, analogy. So uh, what did they get right about this film for you? And uh, what were two or three standouts that really stood up for you? Um, I thought they got just about everything right. What stood out for me was the action scenes, um, the way they connected all the stories and tied up all the loose ends, I thought it was really well written. Um, I liked, I don't want to give away any spoilers, but there were a couple of action scenes in there that I really appreciated, especially with uh, Miss Marvel and uh, all the female characters without giving away too much. Um, mm -hmm. I just, I loved it. I just thought that it showed, you know, uh, feminine power you know, female power. It showed yes. uh, the best parts of every character in the film. And it had humor. It had emotion. It had sorrow. I mean, it tugged at every emotional heartstring you could possibly have. I, I thought it was Absolutely. great. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Well, I forgot to tell the audience, uh, I, I'm okay if we spoil a little bit tonight, but I'll leave it up to y'all. Y'all are the experts, and you are the guests here, so I'll leave it up to y'all. The movie's out. We can spoil if you want to. Hannibal Taboo, uh, MD liked a lot of aspects of the film, and you are an eternal optimist uh, as far as I know you, my brother. So what, what kind of let you down a little bit, and what really just drove the point home that you just love this film? Well, what I uh, noticed after, because I spent weeks avoiding any coverage or any reporting on this, what I noticed afterwards were uh, people pointing out things that I'd seen and maybe didn't have as much problem with, but could recognize that they could be a problem for other people. For example, and uh, if you want to spoil, I'll spoil, but it's your show, so I'm going to let you make the decision. Spoil, brother. Spoil. All right. You can spoil. Spoiler alert. So, <laughs> the scene, the, the scene during the battle where there's all the women characters standing together and then work, uh, uh, working to help Carol get across the, the the field of battle. Absolutely, yes. Um, it felt to, to to many online observers as though it was an afterthought because this movie spent a lot of time, oh, on okay. especially on the relationship of Tony and Cap, and that the only female Avenger of any standing for any amount of time got whacked sometime during the second act. So yeah. uh, there were concerns about that. There were concerns about the treatment of Widow. There were concerns about the idea that, oh, wait, we were told we were going to go get a Widow movie. Now she's dead. What the heck? So, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm not, because I'm not an estrogen American, I cannot say that those concerns are valid or invalid. <laughs> it's none of my business. Uh, I, I just heard them, and I'm in a space where I believe women. So I was like, all right, you're saying this, and I believe you. Okay. Uh, well, I'm okay. Also an estrogen also- American. <laughs> yo, yo, you didn't like that one? <laughs> I, I know, I, I, I am an estrogen American. I loved that scene. Uh, I didn't think it was an afterthought. I thought that it was great. I mean, how could it be an afterthought? Half those women didn't exist until, you know, that point. <laughs> I'll let you go online mm. on Twitter and hash it out with all those sisters who have this concern. It's not really um, cool. so. <laughs> that said, um, they the can link, have their uh, opinion and I have mine. Indeed, indeed. The length of the film uh, was a great benefit for people who have watched all 22 movies. If you haven't watched all 22 movies, like, say, my wife, who was with us, um, some of the, she was concerned with some of the pacing there. She was concerned with uh, some of the things that happened that really rewarded you if you've been on this journey for even most of it, even if you've only seen, like, most of the films. But if you kind of dipped in and dipped out and been more casual about it, like, say, for instance, the grandmothers who went repeated times to see Black Panther are not going to be so rewarded by Tony and Howard Stark, you know, hashing out their differences in the 1970s. They're just not. So uh, mm. there are different rewards for different people. Um, likewise, okay. uh, when they made, the pl- they made the plan for this movie 11 years ago, this is not, you know, right. some new thing that they dreamed up. So when they made that plan, they had no idea that Black Panther would hang a billion dollars on people in 27 days, that <laughs> Captain wow. Marvel would go into right. uh, a, a, an $8 million week long after her release, even with this film out. Uh, mm-hmm. Also approaching $1.1 billion on that film. So those characters right. didn't get... A, the amount of screen time that, say, okay. Star-Lord, whose film you know made significantly less money, or you know other characters oh. received. Okay. And you know some people might have felt some kind of way about that. But again, this was mm. it's not like this is this movie like they came up with this movie last weekend. They came up with this movie in 2007. So right. <laughs> we're just catching right. up to the plan now and and finding out what's going to happen. So those are you know those are interesting elements. Um, yeah. Uh, Having so many characters on screen meant that a lot of right. people got short-sheeted because 
This okay. whole plan factors into Doctor Strange is saying that I looked at four, 14 million and some odd things, and there's only one way that we win. But he only acted mm-hmm. the actual amount of screen time he got, despite the fact that his effect was felt in the scene with the oh, ancient one, with Tilda Swinton, and not getting into her yes. you know, whitewashing of that character right now. But uh, uh, the, that, that his, the effect <laughs> was felt there because she was like, wait a minute, he gave up the stone, and he must have had a reason. If he had that reason, then that must mean this, that must mean... And she had to do a lot of acting on her face to show how those wheels were turning and why she ultimately turned the mm. time gem over to uh, the Incredible Hulk. So mm-hmm. uh, this was... It, it, it's hard to bring anybody in at the, at, the, at the last film. So this film would not mean as much to people yeah. who you know, came in late, perhaps. But right. it's enormously rewarding for anybody who looks at it from a literary standpoint as a body of work. And, yeah, as a, as a final chapter, it's absolutely pitch perfect in a lot of ways. Uh, so yes. those deficits are less deficits with the body of 22 or 23 films now and more with right. how this factors in if somebody's walking in off the street or if they've just landed from Mars and have no idea what you're talking about. Absolutely. Well, to the point of the estrogen Americans, um, I kind of thought that I was hoping that Captain Marvel would have had a little more impact because given Mm -hmm. the buildup, like you said, oh, and speaking of box office, like you just said, Mr. Taboo, I think her film actually shot back up to number two in the box office after kind of leaving the top two or three. And then this film comes out and boom, it shoots back up. Right. So I think there was an yeah, I think there's incredible anticipation for this and renewed interest in her movie. Um, did y'all feel, because I, I was also inspired by that scene where all the women were kind of lined up to back up Carol Danvers. I, I kind of thought that was pretty cool, though brief as it was. But I kind of thought that she would have more of uh, a role in actually taking Thanos down. And I'm not saying that was a disappointment, but I think I was a little surprised that her role was not a little bit more prominent. Um, how did you feel about the piece as a whole, uh, given how challenging it could be to make a film about time travel and getting the, the, the sequencing right? And Hannibal Taboo is famous for talking about how much patience goes into laying out something of this magnitude and how much organizational skills you must have to be committed to a writing task where you're honest to the integrity of the sequencing and being able to lay it all out so you can see which parts you can move around and... Um, adjust the storyline if you need to. So, M.D. Marie, how would you feel about the writing? Because I know you are a comic book writer. Um, talk to me a little bit about how, how, how the story move you as a whole. Did they hold the middle together with all the different time travel elements inherent in the film? I believe that they did. Uh, I thought it was very well written. Um, I liked, um, you know, how they went to Tony Stark and he explained the, the whole, you know, theory of it and I liked the simplicity of Iron Man, I mean, not Iron Man, of Ant-Man's um, explanation and how he thought it all worked like Back to the Future. <laughs> and I liked <laughs> right. that, um, you know, that... Uh, hot tub movie? What, what was the hot tub movie they referenced? Yeah, hot, hot tub time machine. Yeah. Yeah. That's Yeah, and I like, you know, Dr. Banner, you know, gave kind of a layman's explanation of it. Um, I thought it was very well written and it, it was logical. It may not actually be factual, but it sounded really good. Absolutely. Hannibal Taboo. Well, one thing that I thought as I was watching those time travel uh, explanations and going through all the movies and whatnot, hanging a lampshade on those for 
the humor value is that I was like, this is why they had to dust Shuri. Because Shuri's smarter than all of these people and would have figured this out a lot quicker. <laughs> that's mm. why she could. That's, that, I was like, that's why we had to dust Shuri. Okay, I get it now. Because it would have been a significantly shorter movie had she been. Exactly. She was like, yeah, get out of the way. I got this. Which, uh, as my, my wife says, is the tradition of, and my mother, is the tradition of black women for a long, long time. So, um, in, see, in seeing the, uh, uh, the way that they approach time travel, which has been, as they discussed, done in entertainment lots of different ways, they were a little more Austin Powers than Doctor Who with it, which was fine with me. Um, because of the nature of what they were doing and the fact that uh, whatever changes they made to be kind of lampshaded away, like the scene where, uh, 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 you know, uh, PTSD Thor sneaks past Loki's cell and Loki doesn't notice, that sort of thing. Um, and sitting in between the raindrops, as, as they say in writing, that allowed them to have some room to revisit and give some credence to everything that's happened before. And that, again, allowed them to fill in a lot of those holes. From Captain America: First Avenger, where Peggy says as he's getting on the plane, "You owe me a dance when you get back," and he finally got the dance. That's important to see uh, um, to see the the the, the flipped uh, uh, perspective on what Bucky said to Cap uh, uh, when he gets into the quantum entanglement machine at the end. There's a lot of callbacks, a lot of really uh, uh, clever means of discussing things that happen there. So. Seeing that all together, I mean, I ultimately was okay with what I saw. Uh, I just, when I saw the ladies on the battle floor, I was like, okay, it, it, why are y'all all standing together now? And not, you know, <laughs> you know, it just the organic nature of it. I, I was glad that I was glad that my kids saw that. I was glad that my kids were able to see that on screen. But from my own personal standpoint, I was like, yeah, okay, y'all could have hit me with a female-led film probably in like phase two i'm just i mean i know y'all talking about your business or whatever i'm just saying y'all probably could have hit that a little sooner just putting it out oh oh another thing that really personally that I, when she went to ronin in uh tokyo I, yes uh, he says you're not supposed to be here what i expect and my brain expected her to say and you're not supposed to be frank castle because they already have a punisher series in uh continuity but they just brushed by the mm. fact that he essentially was stealing Frank Castle's gig. So, oh, oh like, wow. Uh, I think okay, you know wait a minute. That, that, but okay. Except he had a sword. Wow. No, you uh-huh. know, a, a, a death by any other name is just as bloody. <laughs> Break down Frank Castle for me. What, what's the connection there? Well, uh, Frank Castle's job is he goes around and he kills criminals. And without his uh-huh. family to tether him, Hawkeye went around and killed criminals. Uh, you know, previously mm. that he was a secret agent, he worked in law enforcement, he was going the up and up, but without the grounding of his family, in the same way that when Frank Castle's family got killed, he went out and said, it's time to go kill a lot of, a lot of people. And I was, oh. I was personally disappointed. Well, I know that there's an ongoing battle between the cinematic group and the television group, so I, the idea uh-huh. that they would play nice together at this late point might have been a nice olive branch, but apparently mm-hmm. I may have hoped that, I may have hoped too much there. That may be a bridge too far. I don't know. Oh, how about that? Well, this is KCWG, thetruth.com, and the name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome, and we're joined tonight by the amazing M.D. Marie and the incredible Mr. Hannibal Taboo breaking down Infinity War Endgame. 
Marvel's latest installment in the canon of the cinematic universe. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, let's take a little break, y'all, and I want to talk some more about these characters and break them down and how they've evolved over these 22 films. And uh, I want to get into the main characters, uh, Thor, Hulk, uh, even Captain America, and of course Iron Man. Uh, we've been talking about Widow and... Hawkeye slash Ronan. Uh, I want to get into the arc of these characters and how they evolve. We talked briefly uh, just a moment ago about how Cap finally got his dance, and that is that I, I didn't realize that I needed that, and that that was like a nice feather in the cap. And I want to get into some of these other characters as well. So uh, stay tuned for more, y'all. We'll be right back with more with MD and Hannibal after this. This is singer-songwriter Helena Holleran, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome, on kcwgthetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. that they stuck the landing so of course we had to play the stick this is after all a p-funk show uh ladies and gentlemen this is kcwg the truth.com the name of this program is psychotic bum school my name is dj rome and of course that was prince wait that was the time wait that was prince 
because Prince played all the instruments on that first album in 1980 called The Time. By the time, that jam was called The Stick, and that was just Prince and all the instruments. Morris Day on the lead vocal, y'all already know what it is, The Stick, because Marvel's just stuck that landing. Well, we're back with M.D. Marie and Hannibal Taboo, and uh, we've been talking about Infinity War Endgame, the latest installment in this incredible arc of a legacy created by Marvel's Cinematic Universe. And uh, we've been breaking it down, y'all. We're having a little fun. Uh, we are going to be joined in a few minutes by Miss, Mrs. Tamika Michelle and her very special guest coming up very, very shortly. So make sure you stay tuned for that. Continuing our discussion, um, what did y'all think about Thor? I mean, let's get into some more of the characters and how they evolve. I mean, we've been watching these characters for a long time. They're like extended members of the family. And given the, the devastation of how Thanos just wiped them out, and nobody claimed, came closer to destroying uh, Thanos in the last film than Thor, and he was so close. And, well, there were multiple moments. Spider-Man and uh, Iron Man almost had the, uh, the gauntlet off, but I think Thor really had the chance to really uh, end it right there, and it, it, he missed, all right? So what did y'all think of his character development and how he turned out in Infinity War Endgame? Let's hear first from M.D. Marie and then Mr. Hannibal Taboo. I, I have mixed feelings about Thor in uh, Endgame uh, because Me too. in his last movie, he had, you know, developed his powers to, you know, uh, direct lightning. And he didn't use right. it in this film. Right. I was like, you could have just electrocuted him and we could all go home. <laughs> <laughs> Pull the plug or something. And that was like kind of a sticking point for me. I was like, but we could be going home right now if he's just using lightning. But now he's got a hammer and an axe and he's not using the lightning. You know, it's just kind right. of like, why would you shortchange yourself like that? But then at the yeah. same time, I liked how he kind of fell apart. And it was funny, but it was also, like, it was very real, you know? Like you said, he had PTSD. You know, his right. his grief, uh, I liked the way that they projected it, and I, I liked that, um, I always forget the name of the actor that plays Thor, but I like how he got to make fun of himself and his physique. You know, uh, I believe that's Chris Hemsworth, and mm -hmm. I agree Chris with Hemsworth. you. He was... Yeah, he was very good at uh, laughing at himself and not taking himself too seriously. And I'm wondering, I need both of y'all's help with this. Asgard, the place, the fictitious place where Thor is from and Loki. Now, I'm this, you know, this is a layman's question, so bear with me. Asgard is not a country or a place. It's a, a planet in another dimension. Is that right? It's not like Wakanda. Is What, what is Asgard? Yes, Asgard is... I'm sorry, were you going to say something, Hannibal? So, I mean, I'm, I'm ladies first. Oh, no, no. Oh, uh, Asgard, I, I believe it's not the entire planet. It's like the city on the planet, right? The city on the planet? Okay. okay. Right, Is that how you remember it? Oh, there's go the, ahead. There's thing where Loki's from, and that's also on that same planet. Right. Because he's not Asgard. The reason Correct. So he's responsible for a whole lot of people, and... If things don't work out, that that is going to be a lot of grief to deal with, and that's Asgard. And when you bring it back to planet Earth, um, that's a whole other thing as well, right? Uh, Mr. Hannibal right. Taboo, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, 
from my memory of, of the books and, and the way that Thor stated it in previous films, there are, uh, there's what's called the world tree, which is uh, a dimensional connection between multiple realms. Uh, those realms uh, going from the lowest to the highest, Asgard at the top, where uh, their gods rule over uh, their belief of, of creation. I mean, of course, the Egyptian gods have a different way of looking at things, and so on and so forth. But uh, this was, was the Thor's look at things. So Asgard was a dimension at the highest top, and as she said, there's a city, there's this golden city uh, that sits atop this dimension all to itself, below it being Vanaheim, which is where Frigga's people were from, and Loki's people were from Jotunheim, which is the land of the Frost Giants, and so on and so forth. Those are all different dimensional portals, uh, dimensional planes, rather, that could be reached by a portal, which used to be done by Heimdall, the black guy, which was Idris Elba, and, um, but the uh-huh. Rainbow Bridge was broken, and yada, yada, yada. So, um, Thor is less, uh, and the way he explained it in an earlier film was like, I'm not a human because in the same way that y'all, what you, you call magic, we call science. This is just everyday stuff to us. And mm. one day it might be for you too, but you're a long way from that. And I've, Thor is a thousand years old. So and the point that MD made about, uh, him not using the lightning, actually, uh, I saw as a factor of his PTSD that, because he was so severely traumatized that he fell back into old patterns. He fell back into comfortable. When he went back, the first thing he went for was the hammer. He was like, let me try to get that. <laughs> you know, because Mjolnir comforted him. Mjolnir had been with him for so many years. Mjolnir was something that he knew and he understood very well. So, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, even though my favorite moments in the film actually involved Mjolnir and not Thor, uh, I'm a big fan of Thor. I always loved Thor. Uh, and, and the way he was uh, some people may not agree with the idea of playing PTSD as a joke, uh, and, and, but okay. that's the way that this actor and this script dealt with it. Chris Hemsworth is very committed to comedic work. If you ever saw the uh, uh, Answer the Call Ghostbusters film, he will commit to a mm. bit and go all in. He is an actor with enormous both dramatic and comedic range, and he, right. has, no, he has no hesitation to lean into working in either of those realms. So, which you saw in the scene where you introduced him with the pot gut and he's talk, yelling at a kid about on Fortnite, and then in a second when he says Thanos, he turns into a whole other dude. And then he tries to transition mm-hmm. back out of it. That performance was very intentional on his part, and built into his perception of how they were going to play into the PTSD that affected Thor. Right. I'm still getting used to thick Thor, y'all. I, I kind of miss uh, my man, and the fact that he was uh, in my understanding, more godlike. I, I, I had a hard time initially uh, imagining him being so susceptible to depression, which is very real. I hear what you're saying, Hannibal, that people would, if you feel a certain kind of way about PTSD and it's really harmful ensuing effects, you may not take uh, a lot of humor in, in what you saw there because he was dealing with his grief in a very, very human way. He was like, forget mm-hmm. this God stuff. Uh, this stuff is hard. You know, half the planet is wiped out, and I almost had this clown. And I, and I missed. I didn't go for the hit mm-hmm. that time. You know what I mean? So that's deep. And uh, you mentioned Mjolnir. Uh, I, I, I'll never say it right, but can you break that down? Because it reminds me of B.B. King's Lucille. Uh, what, what is Mjolnir? <laughs> well, uh, Mjolnir was uh, a, a hammer forged out of a special metal called Uru. It was forged in the heart of a dwarf star by the dwarves of, if I remember correctly, Niflheim. I'll probably be corrected by that online by somebody. But uh, they're master forgers. They're basically, you know, smiths. And they forge this out of impossible metal. And on top of the impossible metal 
uh, it was given a special enchantment by Odin. And the enchantment, and this is what led into my, my favorite moment in the film, the enchantment says, if he be worthy, whosoever shall uh, uh, wield right. his hammer, lifts his hammer, shall wield the power of Thor. And, yes. you know, uh, Thor, when he went back in time to essentially the period of Thor Dark World, he called for the hammer and it came to him. He was like, yes, I'm still worthy. But he mm-hmm. was not surprised. He, 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 there was a scene in Avengers Age of Ultron where the Avengers were all yes. trying to move the hammer, and it moved, yes. and Thor looked terrified. And Cap said, well, yes, I can't lift it, but <laughs> right? he could. He could have right. always lifted it from that point. And the wow. fact that he was so good with lightning implies to me that there's, mm-hmm. in, you know, some writers thinking about after Thor goes to sleep, Steve's sneaking up, taking the hammer, and practicing with it. That, that, that seems like a very logical thing for me to do for somebody with a tactical mind of his, his caliber. Right, right. You know, I, I, I agree with you because I've seen the Age of Ultron. That came out in, I think, 2015. Uh, Avengers Age of Ultron, the sequel to the original Avengers. And I didn't notice that the hammer budged. I, I never noticed it before. And I had to go back and Thor's watch it yesterday. Kept, yeah, look at Thor's I, that, That's what I kept, yeah, that's what I kept looking at. I saw his face. I saw his face, like, look surprised and very concerned and worried. It's like, wait, this fool is more worthy than I am? But I, I, didn't, I, was, I never watched the hammer. And I saw the hammer budge. And I'm like, wow. So, yeah, you're right. When what happened happened in Endgame, um, I should have been less surprised than I was. You know, based upon that, if I if I had been paying attention that closely, wow. So yeah, that's the arc of Thor, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, by the way, this is KCWG, the Truth dot com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. We're just having some fun tonight, recapping uh, Infinity War Endgame uh, with Hannibal Taboo and the inimitable MD Marie. Uh, we've been talking about Cap, Iron Man. Uh, we just finished talking about Thor. We're going to have Tamika Michelle joining us very, very shortly. Uh, before we let this panel go, uh, let's talk about a few more characters and. Um, Let's see if we could do it in uh, expeditious fashion if we can. Hulk was, uh, well, he evolved. I'll, I'll just put it like that. And like I said, we can't spoil tonight. Uh, how did you feel about the evolution of the Incredible Hulk? Let's go to M.D. Marie and then back to Hannibal Taboo. Mm, I think I was pretty ambivalent about it. I mean, it was funny in part, but him being the Hulk and Bruce Banner, I was like, uh. <laughs> It was, he wasn't mm. the most entertaining part of the movie for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, they, they didn't even explain it, right? It's just, boom, here he is, and this is what we're going to be dealing with, right? Kind of, yeah. It was, I mean, they did explain why he, you know, he uh, went back and merged his two personalities so that he had the best of both worlds, but it was like, okay. You know, and then he was mm-hmm. boring. Oh, I, I see. Know. I just didn't get that much entertainment out of that particular character. Well, Hannibal, I'm coming to you in a minute. Do what do you think of that flashback when they they went into uh, time travel and they're seeing uh, them battle in New York, and Hulk is there just tearing things up, and <laughs> the the current Hulk is like tap 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 is like he didn't he right. wasn't ruthless right. anymore. Uh, what what do you think about that? Did you miss that? I, that's the part I thought was like the comic relief portion of it, and that's the only part that I thought was really funny about it. When he's like, mm-hmm. "Slam," you know, he's like, "I just don't yeah. have it anymore." Um, yeah. But I, I thought that was that was a big delivery for such little payoff. You know what I mean? Okay. 
Okay. Uh, Hannibal, I want you to pick up right there if you could. And had they, this is to both of you and Hannibal in particular, did they resolve the issue between him and um, uh, Black Widow? Uh, they had a brewing romance in The Age of Ultron that you referenced, uh, Hannibal Taboo. Uh, did they resolve that in that movie? Or I felt like they could have addressed it in this one, couldn't they have? They, yeah, I mean, um, there was a, a, a thing romance there, but how much of that was actual and how much of that was the widow being a spy and playing an asset, I can't say. Um, uh, she was using uh, Banner's uh, affection towards her as a control mechanism for the Hulk, and that you know okay. is a very spy sort of thing to do. Uh, how much of that was genuine for her, I can't say. I mean, you never really oh, know. Okay. Uh, but okay. in that regard... Yeah, she's doing um, her job. She, there were a lot of uh, what happened with Banner. I thought was one of a lot of nods to earlier comic book references. In the same way that when Cap got in the elevator and said "Hail Hydra," it was a reference to the Secret Empire storyline where Cap allegedly broke bad uh, in a, a very bad way. But they made it more logical here. Um, there was a run written by Peter David where the Hulk's personality was merged with Banner, so it was what they call Smart Hulk, and that's why he was wearing the glasses and the sweater or whatever. That was very similar to the artwork that was shown in the Peter David run with what was called the Pantheon. And this merged, smarter, slightly less strong Hulk, which you can see because he was small, slightly smaller than the original flavor, um, was, I thought, a script necessity. Because an angry Hulk, uh, just kind of blowing through the, the, the scenery, wouldn't have allowed them the same flexibility to do things. Um, uh, and again, like I said, with Shuri off the table, <laughs> you need uh, a purely theoretical mind to match Tony's engineering uh, uh, abilities in order to make things work. Uh, but don't you think they so, could have done that with the dual personalities? If they just had I, Bruce Banner and then when they needed the Hulk, he could have just changed into the Hulk, but, you know, maybe come to a negotiation? Based on that, I think we would have seen a lot more Banner than Hulk. And uh, based on the spectacle they were trying to go for, I don't, I don't know that we would. I mean, we were already at three minutes and two, three hours and two minutes. So I don't know if uh, that that would have been as visually easy to do in a film that had so many other things to get done. I don't, I don't. As a, I, I'm trying to think how I would have written it. I'm like, maybe. But uh, if you use the smart Hulk, then you've got half the strength all the brains, off to the races. You can skip a lot of things and cut through to things that you really want to cover, such as, like I said, the, the relationship between Tony and Cap, which was really what needed to be resolved in this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he didn't even really use his strength when he was the, the hybrid. Well, so, uh, based on the enemy that he had to fight, what, what strength would have been necessary? Who, at what point would the strength of Hulk been useful in this narrative? Right, but he didn't even really do anything. Not where well, they required his physical strength. So he could have technically have been Banner almost the entire film. Banner trying to sneak up into the uh, Sanctum Sanctorum with the ancient one would have been a, a little bit of a stretch. Uh, that would have been a lot funnier watching Banner try to climb that building. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, in the Hulk is a, a, a plot device in which it allowed him to move the character around. The intelligence allowed the plot to move along more quickly. So, it was, as I said... I thought it was a hybrid choice built upon necessity, uh, based upon the runtime. Like I said, they were already at three hours, and I, I had my coworkers and my family when we went. I told them, you can't drink anything for an hour and a half before we go to the movie. So <laughs> I think they would have been pushing things a little harder to have uh, a more traditionalist Hulk approach here. 
Right. You know, I was only disappointed. I wanted to see him go head up with Thanos one-on-one again, just to see if he had learned anything from the first just beat down. And I, I was probably hoping a, a little bit for that. And, uh, wow. What do we think? Uh, I, I, would've, I was really hoping for that, just as a form of redemption. And uh, shout out to Idris Elba. Uh, you mentioned him a few minutes ago, playing the role of Heimdo, if I have it right. Uh, just getting married, uh, jumping the broom. So uh, shouts out for matrimony. It's his third marriage. But uh, good luck to the brother, Idris Elba, tying the knot, breaking a whole lot of hearts of uh, women out there. But uh, we wish him well. So uh, before I let y'all go, uh, we got a few minutes left. Uh, where, I mean, what's next? I mean, what do you do? Endgame is here, 22 movies into the canon now. Um, I don't know how you top this. I kind of hope that they stop now, uh, quit while they're ahead. But the, the, the call of, of finance is, is beckoning. And I don't think that we're totally done seeing these characters in some shape, form, or fashion. And given that that was a time travel piece, I'm wondering in another stream, uh, could we see Iron Man again? Um, is it possible? And if not, just generally, where do you think this Marvel Cinematic Universe is headed next? Let's go to M.D. Marie and my good brother Hannibal Taboo. Uh, I think that all the characters that you saw you know, come back are going to have their own. Well, you know that Thor and uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy, they're going to team up because that was one of the, uh, you know, reveals in this movie. And then, um, you know, we already know a Spider-Man film is coming out and Black Panther is going to have another film. And um, I don't know. I kind of would like to see uh, Pepper become Iron Woman because she was kind of dope at the end of that movie. Mm. So I yeah. would like to see that. I would also like to see uh, Black Panther's general uh, have a lot more action scenes. I was really disappointed every time you know she got knocked on her butt because I just felt like she was such a phenomenal fighter in the Black Panther film that she mm-hmm. should have been rescuing the others. Oh, okay. You talking about Shuri? No, not the sister. Okoye. The general. Oh, Okoye. Yeah. 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 Agree. And in yeah. fact, there was some controversy about the way they portrayed her on the Billboard poster, how mm-hmm. she was, uh, I think her her face was there, but her name was not. So mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I, I think that that was a missed opportunity for sure. Good point, MD. Uh, Hannibal Taboo, what are your thoughts? Well, in November, we're going to see three new streaming series from uh, on Disney+, Plus, which would be uh, Loki, uh, The Scarlet Division, which have another series, and Falcon and Winter Soldier. So those will all be in continuity, live-action series with the actors that we're used to on film in uh, streaming-only television series to launch this Disney streaming system, which, oh, they've got us for another, another, another monthly hit there. So that's, the, that's yeah. one of the first things we're going to see. We're, of course, going to see... Uh, Spider-Man Far From Home this July, and there's a slate for, if I'm looking at this calendar correctly, uh, two Marvel films, May and November in 2020, three in 2021, February, May, and November, and three in 2022, but they haven't released the names of any of those because those are all part of the next phase of films. Um, What I believe a lot of that will play into, because the Disney-Fox merger just went into is that yeah. all of a sudden all the X-Men characters are on the table, all the Fantastic Four characters are on the table, and so on and so forth. So if we've just finished off with uh, Thanos, I believe the next stop has to be, on a large, large scale over a number of years, Galactus. 
your point. Ah, the villain from Fantastic Four Silver Surfer. Am I correct? Yeah, when you go, well, hopefully better than that version, but, uh, <laughs> oh, because okay. now with, with the merger gone, all the X-Men films that you know and love are gone, or, or know and dislike, as I guess. All those Fantastic Film Four films, gone. None of those ever happened in this new thing, so those characters mm. can be recast, rebooted, and rebought into a new cinematic universe featuring you know, Captain Marvel and Black Panther as lead, as, as, the the, the 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 head figures now that Chris uh, Evans and uh, Robert Downey Jr. are mm. far too expensive to bring into these films anymore. Oh, uh, Okoye. Speaking of her, MD and Hannibal, uh, we're almost out of time, but she she mentioned something about some rumbling under the ocean, and <laughs> something that what what was that? Is that can, what, what was that? We don't know yet, but most of the online okay. speculation is that that will be how we get Namor. That will be uh, the the first look at Atlantis. Uh, you know, that's okay. speculation right now. Nobody's seen a script. Kevin Feige is not talking, and there's no official information. But given that uh, Vibranium was introduced in uh, Iron Man, and, you know, so so this that's, again, that sort of patience, that sort of far thinking yeah. is not uncommon to this franchise. Right, right. Well, um Thank you so much for doing this, Hannibal Taboo, M.D. Marie. Uh, I can only imagine what this has done to the both of you as far as being comic book producers in your own right and uh, creators of your own comics and um, uh, writing careers in your own respects. So uh, how can we keep in touch with you, follow your work? Let's go to Ms. M.D. Marie, and let's finish with my good brother, Mr. Hannibal Taboo. Thank you. I'm on uh, Facebook under Literary Works of M.D. Marie. I'm also on MD Marie Stories on Instagram and uh, Twitter. Right on. Well, continue success. And what's what's the writing project Thank that you, you have all right now? Uh, Vindication issue four actually there. comes out in a week. Oh, come on now! And that is with who? I'm sorry, Top Cow. <laughs> so, um, Top Cow and Image Comics right Vindication. Yes. Right on, and right issue on. Three is issue one through through three is out currently. Issue four comes out uh, the first week of May. Fantastic! Thank you so much. Continued success to you, Miss M D Marie, and the good brother Hannibal Taboo. You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr as Hannibal Taboo H A N N I B A L T A B U. Uh, you can find every week at on Wednesdays, uh, you'll find Project Wildfire, The Once and Future King, free web comics at operative.net. Uh, that is available uh, every week, and that's coming out. All You also find me at HannibalTaboo.com. My comic book review column, The Bipal, is on ComicBookResources.com, Thursdays by 1130, and the following Wednesday syndicated on the iHeartRadio podcast, Nerdorama with Mo and Tawala, uh, by 9 a.m., I think, on uh, Wednesday mornings, if memory serves. Yes. <laughs> and look for it, the, uh, the stuff and the works of Hannibal Taboo. The good brother said uh, ancient ruins and uh, secret scrolls, uh, magical tablets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's Hannibal Taboo and uh, M.D. Marie, two comic book producers, writers, creators, Oh, my God. Um, I can't thank you all enough, man. I don't know where else people are going to get a chance to hear two experts as yourself in this genre. Uh, 
Marvel's Infinity War Endgame and just Marvel's universe in general has just inspired me, and I'm not even a comic book artist or writer, but it just makes me just look at, man, am I, am I taking care of business? Because the, the, the future that we have, or the present that we have now, was somebody's future years ago. I'm stealing somebody's quote. I'm right. not that brilliant. <laughs> but the present, we're, the present we're living in right now was the future to the Feige's and the, the Russo brothers 10 or 11 years ago, like Hannibal Taboo just said. And they envisioned all this. They laid it out. Mm-hmm. They planned it. I mean, okay, so disclosure, they got financing. Don't get it twisted. They got Disney mm-hmm. money behind them now, too. So that didn't hurt. But I'm just saying, just... Hannibal, you helped me understand with the arc of all this how important it is to plan. It's not that we mm. uh, plan to fail, it's that we fail to plan. And if nothing mm-hmm. else, what I've, what I've gotten out of this is how important that part of the process really is. So I want to thank you personally for bringing that to my attention. And thank you to MD Marie. Please join us again real soon. This is KCWG, the truth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. That's MD Marie, Hannibal Taboo. Stay tuned for more. I think we have our next guest on deck. Tamika Michelle is back to talk about black love and relationships. So stay tuned for more. We'll be right back after this. Kiss me once again, it's been a long 